Dreams do come true, if only we wish hard enough. You can have anything in life if you will sacrifice everything for it. J.M. Barry. The Dragon Pod from Bending Not Breaking. Book Four Earth. Chapter Eight Rex Igneous. Welcome back to another episode of The Dragon Pod. This is Ben Pruitt, your host, with a, a, a really, really great episode. We are at the penultimate episode of this season, and I just gotta say it again. Our guests this season have been stellar. We have been rocking it with really incredible people, and this episode, we don't just have one guest. We have two that's right we're winning uh we have two guests for you all today and i would love to tell you about them one you've met the other you've probably not uh at least on this podcast uh Devin Geel is back. She, her pronouns, is lead writer and producer for the Dragon Prince team uh, and dreams of all the ships, right? And all of her favorite fandoms. You yes. you remember all of this, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, Devin recently honored us with like all of the in-depth episodes on all of the reflections that came out prior to the season four. Uh, the season four and it's really exciting to go back and check those out especially in re- like relationship to this episode because there was one specifically about some things that went down in this episode so <laughs> uh, go read those go listen to those again uh, and then our other guest really exciting is Ian Hendry uh, he has pronouns and also joining us because you know he and Devin wrote this episode together, which is really exciting. And Ian's a longtime writer with Wonderstorm team and has worked alongside Devin uh, for more than just work. Uh, so we'll talk about that. And, you know, also likes long walks on the beach, right? And they've joining us today. And I'm really excited. Devin, welcome back. Ian, welcome Hello. to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. It is exciting, right? After after that, like long and rambly introduction. Uh, so, welcome. I would love to just uh, learn a little bit about you. Like we we all know Devin. Devin's just a part of the team at this point. But uh, Ian, like, who are you? What makes you you? What makes me me? Uh, it's funny you say long walks on the beach because we live, you know, 15 minutes from beautiful California coastline and we never take advantage of that ever. Uh, so who am I? I'm Ian Hendry. I used to uh, live in Scotland. That's where I was born. If there's a slight hint of an Ooh. accent, that's where that's coming from. Um, you know, moved to uh, to America to, to to seek dreams and fame and fortune, all the stuff people do when they come over to California. and up for you with Devin, I guess. So that worked out fine. <laughs> um, in terms of work, uh, similar kind of work backstory to Devin. If you've heard the previous episodes, uh, I used to work at Riot Games as a kind of like writer, uh, creative kind of person, was the kind of like writer on a bunch of champions from like 2012, 2013 era. Lord, that was a long time ago now. Um, it sure does feel like a long time ago, doesn't it? Yes and no. Anyway, um, <laughs> also dipped my toe there into like actual game design work. I made one 
horrible misbegotten creature called Clad. I'm really sorry if you're still a League of Legends player and that ever affects your life to this day. I'm still atoning. Um, and yeah, now I'm trying to bring some of that to to a Wonderstorm. Dev and I, you know, as mentioned, we are married and we've been long time kind of like writing partners on the show. Um, we're in the same room now. Sorry for any echo on that front. But also Wonderstorm is growing and uh, my new current role while I'm still writing on the show and so on. I'm also a lead creative designer on the video game that we are making, which I can't say anything more about here today. But uh, if you're a Dragon Prince fan and you pay attention to our usual channels, you will learn more about that when the time is right. You heard it here, folks. All the cool things are happening and you should pay attention. Uh, so that's really exciting. Uh, wow. So I'm hearing a little bit about your your work and what you do with uh, Wonderstorm. I'm curious, uh, what are some things that make you, you know, Ian versus, you know, some other random person that works for Wonderstorm? <laughs> I almost wish Devin could answer this because, you know, she's the one that chose to marry me and all. Yeah. Uh, but what other <laughs> things do I do? I mean, um, uh, I guess I've always been a kind of like uh, sad indie boy rock kind of kid. Uh, music's always been a big part of my life. Um, uh, mostly, you know, for a long time, just kind of like uh, listening to sad songs in my room. But more recently, the past like eight years or so, uh, recently eight years, how old am I getting? Um, I've like committed more to like actually playing guitar and I have a little fun ga garage band, garage band, sorry. That's some of the old British English coming out there um, with my friends. Recently, we played a fun three-song Christmas set for for our friends. Uh, the first time our band has had an audience bigger than the band itself, and that was really fun. Oh, that's really cool. I don't know any emo Christmas music. You'll have to share. <laughs> we were actually pretty upbeat. Um, I got to channel my inner Bruce Springsteen. I did the Santa Claus is Coming to Town in oh, his wow. kind of style, singing that. Um, and then we played some like classic like rock and roll, like a uh, Chuck Berry's Run Rudolph Run. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Just bashing out some some blues power chords on that one, uh, that kind of thing. But yeah, I left my own devices. I'll pick up an acoustic guitar and pluck out some some Bob Dylan or uh, some oh, yeah. sad folky stuff. Mega the rain, mega tears. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so it's actually literally a song I was just learning a week ago. What a bizarre call. Yeah, you mean Bob Dylan? I'm not going to go with like the mainstream song. I'm going to go with the best song that he wrote. Um, Devin, how did Ian do? Was he was he being honest or what's the deal? What did we what did he miss? That was that was really honest for him. Uh, I I think just to to roast him for a second, Ian's usually a little bit. I, I don't want to say shy, but like you're a little reserved. You you don't you don't you know talk about yourself quite so colorfully. Um, but I, I try to encourage him to do so because I think he's. Obviously, I married him, so I have to have some some good opinions of him. And I, I think, like Wonderful, at work, right? at least he's he's you know he's warm, approachable. He's actually one of the best communicators I, that I know professionally, which I I struggle with because I'm like a weird little grouchy hermit who doesn't like people very much. And Ian you just described is me. Way... <laughs> That's a lot of people. A lot of people have this like personality flaw, um, or or benefit I, I can't yeah but Ian is wonderfully communicative he's he's just good at sort of like understanding the underlying you know needs of people and 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 their goals and stuff like that and I, I think it makes him like really good at his job uh so th it. that's all the compliments I'll give him though because we, we have a bit where I just pretend that he's the worst person ever so uh, that'll be for the rest of the episode great I can 
uh, toot my own horn a little bit on that and talk about the crossover Ooh. between like my kind of like creative direction work and writing room experience. I think like so much of collaborative working together is often about uh, double checking over and over again that the Absolutely. thing in your brain can ever be the same thing in everyone else's brain. I mean, this is the challenge of all yes. human communication, right? But um, I think, uh, yeah, never make too many assumptions about other, what other people are thinking uh, and also be willing to to bend your own assumptions to make sure that uh, everyone else is actually on the same page as you. So I love that. Yeah, I mean, it's w one of the core tenets of communication is just because you said something doesn't mean the other person heard it. And then it doesn't mean they understand it the way that you meant it. Uh, so there's all kinds of, uh, potential flaws there. So this is really exciting because we're, this is a, an auditory uh, medium, right? We're all trying to communicate and make sure that we're communicating with our listeners and making sure that they're hearing the conversation and the things that are coming out of our mouth. And sometimes that means we have to like say things again, right? And so it's very, very exciting. So, okay. We've heard a little bit about about you, Ian. I feel like you're welcome to the family. You're in now. Uh, you oh, will you. probably regret it after I start hitting you up all the time. Um, but uh, now that you are a part of this, you have the opportunity now to, uh, you know, put Devin in the hot seat and you can say anything you want for the next 30 seconds about Devin. What What would you say? What would I say about Devin? Um, Devin, uh, presents herself as prickly and reserved and don't talk to me, but is actually uh, unbelievably passionate about everything she puts herself into. I don't think she would put herself into things if she wasn't passionate about them, but uh, once she's once she's in, she's in. I think uh, she like lives, breathes, uh, you know, Dragon Prince blood flows in her veins at this point. Uh, <laughs> And sometimes that's not always pleasant when you're, you know, working in the realities of, of, of show production where yeah, you might cool. have to, you know, let little things go and so on. But like, I think, um, yeah, if you don't care that that deeply about something, then uh, you're not really going to be able to truly put your whole self into it. But I think that's true of everything she does, uh, no matter how much of a front she puts on. Uh, you can see it in all her, her personal work as well, her like, you know, relationships with people around her. Um, she just likes to play act a big uh, grizzly bear that uh, wants to growl and scare you away. I love it. Shut up. I'm big and scary and mean. Yeah. For for everyone who uh, is not able to see, which is everyone, uh, Devin's wearing a little red uh, red jacket and her face turned that color uh, for a second and you missed it. Um, <laughs> uh, but welcome. Uh, I'm really excited that I have both of you. I'm going to go ahead and bring us into our first uh, segment of the pod, which is this idea of the primal source. And because you are here, you are the primal source, which is really exciting. You're like a, a magical, the, the, what is it? The, we have six primal sources. We're, you're the seventh. Um, and we're really excited to uh, tap into this magic that you all have, which is behind the scenes knowledge of these, this episode in particular, we're talking about Rex Igneous, uh, yes, the dragon, but specifically the episode. And I would love to just hear what is something about this episode that was interesting or weird or fun in the making of the episode that would be interesting to to learn about for, for people who are listening. I'll give some like just general framework and then Ian can talk a little bit more about what I think is his greatest contribution to the episode, which is Rex Igneous's character itself. 
Um, and I'm sorry, once again, if you hear a dog crying, it's our, our newer dog, Ember, who's a, a she's young, she's needy. She, we're not paying, we're talking, but not paying attention to her, which is a crime. Um, Terrible. So Terrible. anyway, if you hear that, I, I swear she's fine. Um, but yeah, so Rex Igneous was an interesting episode specifically because like once the characters are in their places for the episode, they don't really go anywhere. And Dragon Prince is quote a travel show. And what that means is like, typically they're, they're progressing on an adventure. They're going on a journey. They will go from place to place and like, you know, set to set location to location in the episodes. Um, and this episode was pretty unique in that they don't really do that they they get to a spot and then they have a very 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 long conversation with another character and you know in in amongst themselves uh at this one spot which is rex igneous's lair this big sort of like cavernous treasure hoard where this grouchiel dragon lives and it's the same for the beast story with amaya and janai like they they do travel they go from you know the luxoria ruins and it's not luxoria the the um Sunfire ruins, they're called in the scripts, they're, you know, exterior sunfire ruins. They go from the sunfire ruins to sort of just a hilltop to have their conversation, but it's the same idea. Like the focus of the episode is very much just like dialogue and back and forth where, um, which is challenging in a, a, you know, an animated fantasy show where you kind of just want people to get to the swords and sorcery sometimes. Um, but I really enjoyed it for that reason because I feel like my favorite thing to write is dialogue. So it, it, this is one of, is one of my favorite episodes that Ian and I ever got to write. Um, but Ian, if you want to talk a little bit about Rex, like I feel like he's kind of your invention. So very excited to learn about Rexy. Yeah, I mean, invention is a little far. Obviously, everything is collaborative. Like there's a kind of seed idea that grows. But one kind of like um, new cool challenge with uh, season four and uh, on into the future is that we actually uh, had to, uh, you know, understand the arch dragons, present the arch dragons as full characters whereas before you know in season three and so on uh they're they do big speeches thunder confronts what he sees as the bad guys and uh zubea gives one beautiful soaring line at the very end but now when we have you know actual long conversations with them um you know they will get to present more of who they are and what their characters and that is also just required to write an episode focused on uh, lengthy conversations back and forth with a character to really know who they are. So I think we needed like some kind of like seed idea for what sets apart uh, Rex Igneous um, from from any other any other dragon. We couldn't just have a kind of like you know big booming voiced uh, uh, speech maker. Um, so the kind of like nugget for me came from the fact that he was kind of posing a riddle, uh, a question to the characters. Right, like they uh, needed an answer. And then there were going to be some challenges to them getting to that answer. That was kind of the starting point. And I kind of thought uh, what would be fun, uh, you know, the whole room is kind of like noodling and trying to give references and so on uh, on, on what this character could be like. I'm just trying to think about like, what's the kind of like uh, aura that some kind of like riddle maker dragon might be giving off. And I don't think it like came across all the way to the end, but the phrase that kind of like popped into my mind was like, the Oscar Wilde of dragons. Like I almost imagine, oh. like if he had a dragon-sized like chaise long, he's just lounging across, <laughs> and he just like kind of enjoys that. Like his audience is, uh, you know, not fully in on the, you know, on the riddle as he is. He really enjoys that. Uh, uh, they don't know the whole story, and that he's kind of like toying with them and playing with them, uh, verbally and so on. Um, so that kind of like was the starting point for the. For the character of Rex Igneous, and then we kind of like 
I thought it was really cool that the set designers like ran with that. Like his entire chamber, it's obviously a dragon horde of, of great treasures. He's like a person who enjoys the finer things in life. Um, but it's also a gigantic bathhouse, right? Like he's just living that life <laughs> for hundreds of years now. This is the where he's decided to, to retire to. Yeah. He does, yeah. Um, and there's some small details that you can kind of catch. Like there's big kind of like Roman style columns as they're trying to flee in the next episode and stuff like that. So yeah, there's a lot that was kind of like a big part of his set was his big luxurious dragon sized bathhouse. Um, so yeah, yeah that was kind like of Rex Luxy, like Rex luxurious, <laughs> yeah. like more than igneous, right? Like that like should part be part of the Oscar Wilde reference to me was like, okay, so also a little bit petty and a little bit sassy. And so like that, I think that manifested a lot too. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, as the starting point of like the, toying riddle maker figure i think we just kind of like really ran it down and it played into some of the like you know uh deeper character interaction history that they get into later in the episode so yeah fun character to fun fun dragon to write for it's a fun dragon to watch too so i'm i'm excited to to dive in uh but before we do i want to kind of focus in on what we're going to be talking about today as we kind of move forward and so we were talking about the episode I had you all set to be on the podcast months ago, and we finally have made this happen. And we eventually landed on sacrifice as the lens that we're going to be discussing the episode through. So I just want to kind of pick your brain and hear what does sacrifice mean to you so that we're kind of uh, have the same context about what we're talking about as we move forward. Always the first this time. Yeah, it's always the big question that has everybody like, uh <laughs> what does sacrifice mean to me? Webster's dictionary. No. Um obviously sacrifice is giving up something uh that is sorry, the dog is crying very much against me. She's the one that's truly sacrificing the most right now. Uh you know, it's usually when you have um a choice between keeping or giving something away, and giving something away is extremely deeply painful to you, uh, but you choose that it's the you know, the right decision for hopefully a noble reason. I think most of the characters in this episode who are sacrificed things believe they're doing it for a some kind of noble reason. Um, but they can also just be seeing two paths in front of you, um, struggling to know which one's the right the right path to take, and uh, you know, saying to yourself, "Well, I'm giving up that other path forever." That's another kind of manifestation of sacrifice. Um, you know, not to get uh, all heady and over dramatic about like my own uh, personal life story, but as I said, I. Uh, grew up in in scotland uh and eventually you know i kind of two paths uh, presented themselves to me uh to either you know move over to america uh, there were sort of personal and professional reasons to do that and so on uh you know big land of opportunity and all that kind of thing uh versus you know the the comfortable life i, I knew seeing with my my family my friends and everything that, that was that was comfortable to me and so on um and you know uh it's not quite as hard nowadays with you know uh communication and internet being what it is but you know it definitely was uh a big choice to kind of like uh leave all that behind and move over here and you know uh hindsight is 2020 but it really feels now you know the work i'm doing the wonderful uh marriage i've ended up in like it really feels like i very much made the right decision but uh you know sacrifices are real especially the past three years of of pandemic time i just couldn't go home and see my family for a really long time and there's only you know so much uh Sorry to the two people on this call just now, but Zoom calls can only go so far to like yeah, uh, yeah. to to make that kind of like you know uh, 
connection uh, again, but we yeah. did get to go back to see my family uh, in September of last year in beautiful uh, Bonnie, Scotland. So we got got to, to to recharge there. So so Perfect. if you're careful, sacrifice doesn't mean to you know always have to mean giving something up completely. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting component of of sacrifice is a lot of times when people like the think sacrifice it's often uh in context of sacrificing one's life in order to like being a martyr for a cause um and we have that as a like a historical um kind of reference that we that you know is pretty commonly taught but there's also this type of sacrifice that you're kind of offering us which is the offering of something precious to you that you're choosing something else over right it's the sacrifice of what could be right it's this different life that we're taking and we're sacrificing a path right because every time you make a choice uh when you come along a fork in the road and you have to go one way or the other when you choose in a way you are sacrificing the other opportunity uh and that doesn't mean that the road might not bend back and take you to that opportunity at a different time Right. And so there's this weird thought of, well, if I if I lose it now, then it's never going to come back. Um, and so there's this element of the extremes with sacrifice that makes me really nervous uh, because I don't think we should be like there's a, a very common expectation is like, oh, we should be sacrificial and all like every sacrifice thyself be there for others. And like but at the same point, when that's taken too far, it's very problematic. Um, and so I'm really kind of excited to to learn more about this. Uh, I'm, there's just a lot going on here. Devin, is there anything um, you want to add to the unpackage of of sacrifice before we before we dive in? No, not really. I, I gave that one to Ian because I knew he would have a you know his his life experience gives a lot more to I think this thing. But uh, I mean, like the the smallest example I can give is, you know, a lot of people in our field have very, very often faced like job choices and like career branches and stuff like that. And uh, I actually, you know, you know, I came more from working in video games and then started working in animation for the Dragon Prince. And that was actually a, you know, a meaningful choice uh, at the time between continuing working on this one particular medium that I was very passionate about and then pursuing this other thing that I'd wanted to do for a really long time, which was work in animation that I had thought was off the table because of a thing that happened to me in college where I'd studied screenwriting, but then I was in college during the uh, California budget crisis and all of those courses got cut. And so I just, I really did think, you know, oh, uh, that's never going to happen now because wrong place, wrong time, can't pursue this, it's never going to come back around. And sort of to your point, it did come back around. But at the same time, it still was a sacrifice in of itself because yeah. I was diverting back to, to another path off of one that I had put a lot of effort into at the time. So, you know, it's, it's yeah. never just one thing, I, I suppose. Um, there's always, you know, many, many, many layers built into choices like that. Yeah. Well, uh the thing that's coming to my mind is that this is there are some lenses is like it they feel almost like too simplistic this is not one of them this is a very complex and difficult conversation that i imagine we're about to have and so there's a lot of components i imagine that will come up that i'm excited to dive into but before we do uh we have to do our due diligence 
and make sure that we remind our listeners who didn't just watch the episode like I did uh, <laughs> uh, about what happens in the episode. And in order to do that, we're going to recap the entire episode in 30 seconds. Uh, but the best news for our listeners is that because there are three of us, they get three renditions of this recap. We're not promising that any of them are correct, but we're going to try and cover all, all the God, I hope we're sort of correct. We wrote it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, th- over time, things, you know, you get lost, things forget. Oh, things. you have no idea. I constantly go like, what the heck happened in that episode? Where we're Do you see? <laughs> like so uh, by order of random drawing, which means I'm just not sure. I'm just making things up. Uh, we're going to have Devin go first. Uh, and then Ian, uh, you can decide if you want to go second or third. Uh, and I will take whatever spot you don't. Devin, are you ready? I am ready. All right, I'm going to count you in from... I don't know if this is 30 seconds. I just wrote it down. I'll go fast, though. Yeah, I'm just going to cut you off at 30 seconds. On your mark, let's set, go. The heroes meet with Rex Igneous, with Zim disguised as a dog because of Rex's rivalry with Zim's father, Avizandum. The heroes present Rex their gifts, but he bitterly rejects them. Ezrin figures out that he wants something new and special, so they give him a chocolate treat. Rex figures out who Zim is, but he also doesn't know that Avizandum died, and he calms the heck down. Callum solves a riddle to reveal Rex has a map to Erebos' prison. Meanwhile, Amaya and Janai discuss their relationship while Kareem plots a coup to overthrow Janai peacefully, thinking she will step aside as queen. Yes! Wow, with time to spare. Well done. Okay. I probably forgot something important, but... <laughs> yeah, you know, it happens. Things go down. Uh, all right, Ian, you want to go next? All right. I didn't write anything down like Devin, but uh, we'll see how this goes. That's how the best recaps happen. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm going to count you in. Three, two, one, go. The gang arrives at the Lair of Rexignius. The whole point is that he should know where Erebus is, but uh, they don't, and they need to find him because he's going to end the world or something. Uh, problem is, uh, Nathan, their little elf companion, said that they need to bring gifts, but no one was paying attention to him because I guess they thought he was annoying or something. So they don't have any gifts. Uh, so Rex is like, well, give me some gifts. And then they give him some bad gifts. But then Ezra figures out a good gift. So eventually he like says, okay, well, you can ask a question. They ask the question. And he says, nah. And he says, what? And he's like, all right, well, actually, I do have it, but I don't. But blah, blah, blah. Should I run out of time? Okay, cool. Time. Okay, well done. Yeah. Good I mean, her? that was like, one second over that was pretty good i mean that was really nice there were two other plots but who cares yeah i mean listen you can't win them all right yeah i just cut nathan out of mine entirely because i was like nobody has time for this little dude (laughs) same for our main characters apparently because they didn't listen to his uh light touch on the fact that maybe they need to bring something for this big dragon ding 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 uh oh nathan all right so who would like to count me in i got it all right whenever you're ready three two one go all right so zim is like yo rex like my mom and it's awk so like make me look like a dog and then kareem is like no picnic picnics are bad and then he harms himself to make a point and then like bleeding hand willy-nilly on the table like what's he doing and then rex was like taking a really nice bath before he was rudely interrupted and the gang offers him trinket gifts and he's unimpressed so ez feeds him turns out he's a foodie amaya likes like two cakes so not one and then zim gets mad at rex and bites him for mocking his pops and then kareem is like ego and denies a quitter and then rex doesn't know where arvidos is and claudia shows up and puts up Ready to sleep. Oh, that might have been the most useful one. No, Devon's was really good, actually. Devon's. I forgot about Claudia showing up at the end. I was like, the end is when Callum says, "I got the riddle," mostly Uh because we rewrote that little turn a bunch of times, and so to me, it's like the last important thing. 
yeah claudia is scary scary and like okay that was Uh, ian's idea too i'm just gonna i like to give ian credit for a whole bunch of things that were his cool ideas I mean, the fun part though is you can like do a process of elimination because like Devin will say that was Ian's idea, that was Ian's little thing, that was Ian's line. <laughs> the rest of it was Devin's though. So That's yeah. not true at all. That's not how it works. But but thanks. I love it. So there's a, again we we had we took a minute and a half to recap this episode because there's so much going on. Not because there are three of us here and we all have to do one, but you know there's a lot to cover. So I'm gonna toss it straight to you all. What is a moment? of sacrifice in this episode that we want to to talk about i think the immediate super obvious one is the the a plot which literally nathan says you have to give him your gifts of sacrifice and everyone's like what um and so that's kind of where i started jotting down ideas for lenses that was the immediate was like well there's this framework of like literally everybody is forced by the plot to sort of like pick something that they will willingly give up to to rex igneous and it comes in the forms of these these objects of personal value um and where i think like i think the episode becomes interesting in this lens when rex rejects them as you know petty trinkets like he really he he does not care at all about the the sort of melodramatic personal significance to to these things things. yeah Yeah, no, there's something really interesting about this. And I was kind of, I this made me like Rex more in a way, because how often do we get put in a position where we think we have to sacrifice something that is valuable to us and then the other person doesn't appreciate it, right? And then like, why did we have to sacrifice this if they don't appreciate it, right? I think you teed this up earlier but it's really interesting to me that it's Rayla who kicks off the gift giving and sets the tone for what's important in a gift here because I think sacrifice is a deep core part of Rayla's entire character and I think you know uh, if you go back to her childhood like she was told it was great and noble that her parents were leaving her behind leaving their her their family behind uh, that was a big sacrifice they made for the good of everyone you see her through seasons one through three like it just seems like any opportunity she'll be the one to to make the big sacrifice she'll go out there to try and save the dragon she'll uh go and try and fight viren and his army alone uh to protect everyone and so on so the fact that once again uh she defaults to i have to give up something painful to myself yeah uh she kind of is starting to see sacrifice as a noble good in and of itself and then it's the reality check from Rex Igneous. It's like, what does this do for me? Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think you're right. It's super on brand for, for Rayla to go first. Um, and it's interesting to me to think about like <laughs> the denial of self as a form of sacrifice. And uh, this is kind of, uh, what seems to be moonshadow elf culture, at least Rayla's upbringing. Um, and so this sacrifice of self to the point of me is like denial of ego, denial of self in order to serve others, right? In this case, the dragon guard, right? For her parents and, you know, being an assassin, the being willing to lose one's life, the whole ritual of tying the, um, uh, the ribbon that, you know, cuts off all your limbs situation. Um, like that is a denial of self, right? That's a sacrifice that people are making for a cause. And so 
I, it, it, I, mm, I have problems. And so I'm <laughs> like, I, it's hard for me to think about like what that does to one's like psyche uh, growing up in that environment. I, like, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm curious what are what are what are y'all how's that resonating with you what are the thoughts that are that are streaming through as i talk about this many of them uh <laughs> i mean all the way down to when renan believes he's failed his whole mantra is i am already dead right it's complete denial of self and absolutely i mean i think you know and i i, I don't think the show completely sidesteps this it is often powerful it's sometimes maybe often, I don't know, noble, uh, to be able to do that, to have the strength to put everyone else in front of you. Um, I could talk for hours about the competing, you know, uh, instincts of individualist, individualism versus like, you know, collective action and uh, yeah. being one part of a greater whole and so on. But I think uh, you don't do the, usually you don't do the greater whole any good by completely sacrificing yourself and i do think that is often the the length that like you said a lot of the moonshadow elf culture uh sort of norms and and mantras go to eventually is uh you have to be willing to completely forget who you are uh and i think uh that kind of comes across in i'm not gonna keep going because pretty much every other story yeah. touches on this as well yeah uh, in, like, in the name a story and, and it happens right it's everywhere and so I, i'm the thing that came up for me as you were speaking was actually Callum in, in the previous episode. Um, you know, Callum being like, you got to kill me. Um, and this is a really interesting form of this too, right? The denial of self for the greater good. Uh, I'm saying, hey, I need you to do this for me and take me out in order. And Rayla, it, because, and it came up because Rayla, Rayla's like, <laughs> no. And it's like one of those things where uh, that's really interesting to me too, because when it is someone else that I care about, that sacrifice is seen as that's dumb, right? But when it's me, I'm like, no, this is noble. This is what I have to do. This is what I'm being called to do. I have to do this because this is the way I was raised, right? And so it's this um, double-edged sword that is saying, in you, you don't have to sacrifice it. No, 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 no. But me, I do. And again, that kind of mentality is so true in our lives. I imagine people listening have definitely come across the people who are like, no, 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 don't do that. I'll clean up. I'm going to do the whole thing. It's all about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm, and it's the sacrifice of their time, their energy, consistently so that other people don't have to and we're constantly trying to comfort and make other people feel good and again i think to an extent that's beautiful until it becomes problematic and so i guess that's the line that i'm trying to identify and i'm curious how do we find that line I don't know how you find that line. <laughs> There's probably no universal answer, but I think like it's interesting for Rayla. I think she's struggling with that exact thing. Like, where is the line? Because she herself believes I, I must continue to sacrifice. I must go off on my own to try to find Virian. I must do all these things. Uh, but Callum, you you don't have to. And it's it's sort of like he's a little bit 
exempt from her entire philosophy because her philosophy exists in some ways to protect him. Like the whole reason she left between yeah. seasons was to, to quote, keep him safe, but she really only ended up hurting him and herself by doing so, despite the fact that it suits this greater philosophy of, of quote, sacrifice and I think that's for what some happens. greater good. Yeah. It's, it's like you do, you know, if you blow yourself up to like protect the people around you that care about you, like you're, you're hurting them too, right? Like, cause, cause they care about you and they want you there and they yeah. want you to, to be a whole and functional and you know present person in their life and so it's it's an impossible question to to wrangle of like where exactly that line exists of where you stop giving pieces of yourself for that other person versus where you preserve yourself because you are the thing they care about in the first place it's truly impossible there's no way to solve this uh which is why we explore it in fiction yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I might have one starting point to solving it at the very least. No, I think there's um, none. Shut up. <laughs> I mean, Ezrin's gift, the third one, uh, is his crown, right? And he talks about the yeah. symbolism of, like, you know, he's always thinking about his dad's lessons, what his dad did in life, and what his dad was striving to do by the end of his life. Um, and, you know, this big message was try and abandon uh, history as a narrative of strength and try and see it as a narrative of love. And I think a big part of love, I think, like you said, you can get into that toxic, like taking your pain and putting it on me, you know, being willing to do that, that can be a part of love, but it's not always truly understanding the person on the other side of that relationship. And I think, uh, you know, I'm not sure if we <laughs> were consciously thinking this, but I can imagine Ezra realizing that the difference between a narrative of strength and a narrative of love is that love requires much more understanding. You can simplify strength so much more. You can turn it into a winner and a loser. The strong conquers the weak. But if you're going to move forward with love in a way that's going to grow everyone and every side of this uh, uh, equation and so on, um, it's going to take a lot more work and a lot more understanding. Um, whereas, like you said, I think Rayla can sometimes simplify to hurting myself uh to it, it is clearly a, a good that will help this other person because i will take that hurt off of them in some way but that's not truly going all the way to being empathetic to being understanding to truly digging deep into what both you and the other person need because you both do yeah. need each other in this one-to-one -one example but then when it comes to like entire nations of people and so on trying to understand that's a whole whole lot many more people Oof. you have to try and understand yeah. to try yeah. and find a, a a path forward that's that's made of love and not in simplistic forms of strength and conquering and so on yeah i have i have a few thoughts on this actually that i was pondering and one like talking about this crown is fascinating if one you haven't read the reflections one spoiler alert two go read it three listen to the podcast episode about it uh so this crown is fascinating because one Ezrin's wearing it right now on this trip away from home where he's not on the throne and he chooses to have this with him and wear it no, like nonetheless and this is one of those things where i'm i bet that thing is not comfortable right? Like it's a piece of metal around his head. And so I'm sitting over here wondering like that was a conscious decision to probably bring this, right? Or it was an unjong. He's like, oh, I left. It was really quickly. We left. We got on Dragon back and like, oh, well, I can't put it down now. And so it's like, there's a, there's a couple options here, but you know, in my head, the story I'm telling myself is that that was, that was something that Ezrin felt like he needed to bring with him and keep with him. And as a reminder, as a thought process of, this this sacrifice in in a way that he made right to 
assume leadership of this country, right? Uh, so one, that is a as a sacrifice. Two, literal sacrificing of his father's sword in order to transform it into this crown. And then three, to sacrifice that and that, like this whole message to, in giving that to Rex Igneous is really fascinating to, to watch that trajectory. So with Ezrin in mind, the the language that comes to me in terms of helping us identify that that line so to speak of where sacrifice becomes problematic is boundaries and it seems like Ezrin's really good at it like <laughs> I, and and like right does that does that resonate with you does that like is i'm i'm curious like i there's a lot going on here and it seems like Ez's boundaries are really strong and i think that's most clear in the reflection when he's kind of pondering what to do with his crown and how to get a new one what ian's like pointing at me um yeah i it's it's i think it's boundaries and just like his core of empathy like yeah. uh, what's the way to the way to phrase he he has a hmm. He has a, a better understanding of like his his own needs, and I think like in carrying the crown with him on this journey, it's it's sort of like it, it's because he needs the reminder of why he's doing any of this in the first mm -hmm. place, and he also needs to project this sort of like he needs to project that outward somehow. And I think like you know he's I I don't think like glancing at the crown tells everybody in Zadia the story of this little human king who's willing to you know broker peace and and try and and do all of these narrative of love actions that he's so you know fond of um but i think it, it is is it is ultimately his empathy and willingness to sort of reach across that allows him to go like hey this dragon is yeah. just depressed <laughs> and wants a yummy <laughs> snack and, and like and he's willing to sort of like extend that hand even though like this this creature this person I, i'm going to call him a person because he's you know he's a character but this, yeah. this person is really just like lashing out and in, in loneliness and and you know disappointment and all the things that he set up for himself um and, and yeah i think i think that's that's really ezrin's core um i'm sorry that's not really a, a great coherent answer but uh it, it's interesting though i think what you're saying about the the the, the path from him making the crown out of the sword, understanding what it means, and then being willing to give that to Rex, you know, ostensibly an, an enemy, an old enemy, uh, right. someone who's threatening you in the moment too, like, and to to try to give all of that, that stuff in, inside himself that it represents is an attempt for him to be like, hey, man, you know, like, look at all these things that this represents to me, like, hopefully you understand and, and yeah. believe them too. Yeah. I mean, going back to, like, the first time Ezra ever put on a crown, right was uh season Ooh. three and like the entire episode was struggling with not wanting to put on that crown and what you know what does it represent to him etc exactly. his entire speech at the end of the episode when he's willing to put it on is his beginning of that journey to try and synthesize uh you know his dad's view of the world what his dad was trying to do with what ezrin himself brings as his his own strength so yeah i think absolutely a deliberate choice uh you know sometimes it's probably more practical to not wear the giant lump of metal on your head but uh this is a this is stories so people are allowed to take liberties um but you know i think yeah he's doing this uh in his role as king he's not just like well i'll be helpful out there right like this is uh this is him trying to continue to 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 find that path forward and to you know the the, the crown being uh an old shape made of something new etc um 
is uh, a, a very kind of like blunt uh, yeah. symbol of him trying to synthesize all those all those things together. Yeah. So I'm really kind of fascinated with this exchange generally. So we've talked about Ezrin specifically. We talked about how now Rayla was kind of this first person to offer up. And this exchange with these gifts is really fascinating to me because of because of Rex's response. And so, you know, they all kind of pour their heart out into this these objects that mean a lot to them, but they don't mean anything to Rex. And, you know, Rex doesn't say a word until they're done. And like, you know, he has them on like, like just, just listening and like drawing it out and just letting it happen. And, you know, this image of him, like just leaning on the chaise lounge is a, is an apt one at this point. Like, <laughs> so it's just sitting there, just like whirling his coffee, like stirring the coffee and staring him in the eyes, what it feels like. And so this moment that he responds with is really interesting to me because I wonder if there's a lesson here for for us as as viewers and that that we can kind of like pull out of this it seems as though one it's tradition to provide sacrificed gifts in order to appease this person and we learn that that's not what Rex wants it's not what his visitors want. And yet that's the tradition. So I'm I'm curious, are there times and events and spaces in our own lives where we're called to sacrifice when it's in no one's benefit and no one's interest? And yet we do it anyway. Can I just say Christmas? We just had Christmas. Yes. Uh, <laughs> just this is very cynical and i don't i i don't i I, there's something in this this exchange of gifts that we do in real life that's very taxing uh you have to do capitalism to do it you have to spend money that you could otherwise spend on food but like it's it's rooted in this idea of like oh the way i express my affection and love and appreciation for this person is by giving them a thing um and, you know, I get one in return. So it's fair exchange typically. And then there's all these like questions of like, well, if they don't get me a gift, do they hate me? Like, am I not worthwhile to them? Or is it just that they are struggling and can't buy me a fucking trinket right now? So sorry, I swore. Um, but you. uh <laughs> but it, it's I, I think there's something interesting in that, like, like it's it's all just just and it's not this again, this is my most cynical take on it, because I do think there is some, you know, value in gathering and, and sharing and things like that. The, the absolute most cynical take on gift exchanging is just like, I am obligated by cultural tradition to buy you something and give it to you. And yep. you are obligated to give me something in return. And we smile and appreciate each other. <laughs> and, you know, like, and then we, 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 we did it. We did the tradition and like, does anybody like, like I got you a, a DVD of uh, your favorite movie and you got me a, I don't know. I'm looking at my desk for things. Uh, yeah, a gravy boat. Like, like, are our lives enriched by this, or is it like just the the gathering? Anyway, I think I think what I'm getting at is like, Ezrin seems to transcend this and understand like emotionally what Rex needs versus what the tradition dictates Rex needs. Yeah. Um, and that's why he comes up with you know, hey, it's not actually a gift you want. It's just like an experience. Like you want something that like enriches you 
and gives you something new to think about and yeah. and enjoy and it's not you know just receiving an object that somebody you know bowed down to you and offered up um in 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 using this example because i think gift giving <laughs> is a really excellent um metaphor for this but also the idea of i i got you something that really means a lot to me and then i'm like well thank you and then i put it in the trash or don't use it or it's not out when you come to visit and you know oh you're not using the gravy boat um what do you mean and like they're the stories we tell ourselves about the other person's reaction to it right and it breeds resentment and anger and frustration towards another person when we sacrifice something that you didn't ask for. And it's like, there's a, there's a problem with this as a, as a requirement of a holiday one. And it's not just Christmas, it's birthdays. It's all kinds of things. It's this any exchange of gifts really. And I guess it begs the question how do we get out of that loop, right? Is it like, w w it's not just like continue to do it because this is, you know, tradition. It's like, okay, let's actually have a conversation about gift giving with the people that we're give exchanging gifts with. Um, and I think that's something that metaphorically speaking, Ezrin is doing pretty regularly, right? He's constantly saying, why are we doing it this way? We don't have to do it this way. We don't have to do it this way. Let's change the game, right? Oh, look, we can be friends. Dragons are cool. And Ezrin is constantly bringing up that hard conversation. And, you know, Rayla and Callum have a tough conversation about this um, in prior episodes, like end of season three is a good example where I have to do this. This is what the dragon guard, my mom and dad, they left and they died, blah, 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 bad things. And then Callum's like, you don't, you're not your parents. And so it's, it's interesting to me that having these conversations seems to be a way to keep sacrifice in check. Right. Um, so I, I guess that's the, one of the takeaways I'm hearing so far is having those difficult conversations is important. Yeah. I think, um, traditions cultural customs and so on are often you know a way to kind of like boil down uh these kind of like difficult uh you know emotional communication problems into like simpler stories that we can carry on and there's there's a lot of value in there it can you know make us that we're not reinventing the wheel of uh human interaction every single time but it can be really easy to lose sight of the person uh in in these kind of like traditions and uh see symbols right like i even talked about it you know the, the writing process of these dragons were in the past, they were mostly kind of like symbols to the POV characters. And then we're ha having to write them and see them as people. And that's yeah. the breakthrough Ezrin makes here as well, right? Like it's important that Rex doesn't even talk during the gift giving part. It's just ceremony. So they don't really have anything to go on on who this is as a person. But Ezrin's breakthrough is, uh, you know, being an empathetic person, we talk a lot about like sometimes the the open eyes of of the youth can see past the like you know the chains of tradition and so on. We love um, that, and that's kind of like one of Ezra's core strengths, and that's how he comes to the simple. You know, maybe you just want to experience a moment of joy. Maybe that's all you needed today, right? <laughs> Great. Yeah, and that's yeah. I think like like you said with all of gift giving, it's really risky, especially when it doesn't encourage you to understand the other person to make the gift giving more about yourself in the end because that's the part you do understand and the only reason you're doing it is because tradition dictates 
Yeah, I mean, he sounds like he took those chains of tradition and then forged them into a, a crown symbolizing the... Anyway. Um, <laughs> We're hacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So we've talked about Rex's response. We've talked about uh, as We've talked about Rayla. What is a another moment or piece, element, thing of Baron's sacrifice that we want to make sure we touch on Um either in the A plot or potentially in the B plot. I'm happy to talk more about the Janaya Maya stuff if if y'all are. I think like it's kind of literal. I, I think uh, it manifests pretty clearly here. Janaya <laughs> kind of like our own stories about picking a path. Um, Janaya very much believes that she must give up one path to have the other. Um, you know, she... And one of the paths is a thing that she didn't even believe she ever wanted in the first place, but she has sort of come into the role. And Funny how that works. Yeah, she she was she sort of was forced into this path of having to be queen because you know her sister died and she's next in line and all of these terrible things have happened to her people, but she's sort of grown into the role in a way she didn't expect. And so sacrificing it from Kareem's perspective is something that she will easily do. Like he thinks he knows her so well. That he's like, I'm giving her an out. I'm giving her a way to to make the sacrifice in a way that feels, you know, like a, a traditional transaction almost. And what he doesn't, you know, this guy, the the and what he doesn't understand is that she actually has changed as a person, and she wants to do this, and she wants to be this person for her people, but she also wants to get married to Juna, or, uh, to Amaya and have her, you know, her cool wife uh, who wouldn't really, um, my wife. My wife, yeah, she wants she wants both these things, even though like having one is going to ca- cause complications for the other. And um, anyway, that's I, th- I think like it, it's a simpler I, I don't, simpler is the wrong word, but I think like it manifests very very clearly here is is this idea of like Jen I can only have one of these things in her own mind, and she's like how could she possibly choose? Um, and yeah, what do you think, Ian? <laughs> no, I mean like it's uh, echoes of the same thing in a different kind of interpersonal context. I think Kareem. Uh, obviously boils things down into stories and great sweeping gestures a lot right and like i don't think he's really realized that he's slightly done that with his own sister like as he's grown up like he has a fixed image of who she is and has not appreciated the catalysts for change that have entered janai's life up until this point and i mean you know again amaya and janai themselves are a kind of uh blunt uh example of uh your your preconceived notions of who people are and who they can be uh can change and so on and i think kareem is fundamentally not doing that here um in his you know his whole shtick is upholding tradition then we're losing sight of that um yeah maybe some part he's right maybe there's a lot of change going on and it is easy to lose sight of you know a cohesive sense of who uh who you are as a people but i think he's like critically unable to see a person change in this moment yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna hone in on janai and amaya for a second and then pivot to kareem so the janai amaya situation is really fascinating because amaya is a very good listener in this episode in particular um you know the the common response when somebody's like you know, going through something is to, you know, 
well, well, let me tell you about my, what I think, right? Or like, here's what I think. Here's my experience. This is, oh, I like, and they, it, they kind of turn it on them and it turns, it becomes about them. And Amaya is just like super focused on Janai this whole episode. And for some reason that really uh, stuck with me in when I was like paying attention to that because there's an element of sacrifice in relationship. I think we forget about when we care about someone deeply what happens and you know this is speaking of someone who hasn't been able to have a a long-term relationship so forgive me for you know um extrapolating uh but with with long-term relationships the closer you get oftentimes what happens is that element of proximity and intimacy sometimes turns into an assumption or a uh, taking for granted of that is often missed. And what happens is it leads to not listening, right? Because you just assume that you know what's going on. And I think it's the assumption of that intimacy that Kareem has, right? That uh, I assume that I know you already. We are so close, so to speak, that I know you. And it is then you might have been close at that one point, but due to your lack of attention and your in a, unwillingness to sacrifice your time and energy to learn and sink into what Janai is actually feeling in this moment, like Amaya does right? It's no wonder that she becomes more close with Amaya. It's no wonder her relationship develops, right? And this is showing us what it looks like to build and broaden relationships and what the consequences are when you don't, right? It's, it's, I I see them very closely together, right? And and how's that resonating for you all? Is that uh, ringing true? Or is that like totally off the wall? Oh, no, that's 100%. I think like, uh, and this is a little awkward just because I'm literally doing this podcast with the person I'm married to, but there, there, there are, you know, conversations where one, one person is struggling and, you know, it's actually really hard for me to, to come to Ian a lot and just be like, well, here's what I would do in your situation. Like, sometimes I'll do that, but oftentimes it's just like, Hey man, that's rough. Like, like, what do you actually want out of this? Like, what, what do you think, you know, your feelings are saying here? And I think like, and I'm not always that good at that. I don't know if this isn't couple but 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 I I think like when you're when you're at your most like self-aware about like your presence in the relationship you put a lot of your own experience aside and say like what what do you like I care about you as a person so like what what do you want out of this like you're expressing to me all of these these struggles and these choices that you're like agonizing over but like like what are your what's your gut telling you and talk more about that rather than give examples of you know like well if I were in your shoes that's not always really helpful it's it's not really listening it's it's sort of just like taking the reins from the other person um and i think yeah uh, amaya in this situation i think she probably could talk about like moments where she's felt like she could only have one thing versus another um but she doesn't she she literally turns it on janai and says like what literally what do you want like what is most important to you and janai ultimately says like both things are incredibly important to me like you're incredibly important to me but like this this position that i've been put in even though i did not want it has become incredibly important to me as well and then so that Janai's answer and she does a very che- or Amaya's answer and she does it very cheekily is then you should try it for both things like we and I will support you in that endeavor. And I think, you know, it's it's a it's a strength of their relationship that Amaya is able to to like wait to weigh in on the conversation until Janai has gone beyond just like, well, here's my path. And and then, you know, 
wait till she says like, well, here's how I feel very bluntly and honestly about those pads in a way that's about me and not like what those pads mean for other people. Fascinating. Yeah. You know, I just had a, a, a weird thought, you know, being cheeky is, you know, like referencing cheeks, but at the same time, Amaya is not actually like speaking. So I was like, is it being handy? Like, is <laughs> like <laughs> for someone who is signing? That's like, a different meaning usually. Right? <laughs> like, different, different. Um, no, but I do want to pick up on something like Amaya as great listener. Is just yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a wonderful thought, right? I mean, like in the absence of the most literal, obvious form of listening, I think she's become unbelievably good at uh you know all other forms of listening being aware of things and this you know has obviously manifested in like battlefield command she's obviously had to kind of compensate somewhat and there's uh but um you remember in season three she hears you know janai summarize a situation and she's like three steps ahead of what this means she knows who viren is blah 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 all that kind of thing and another part this was kind of back to the inception of the character when we're you know um learning about kind of like you know deaf communication and deaf community and so on a lot of the times they don't have patience for ambiguity and confusion in a kind of conversation. I think that can give someone like yeah. Amaya a great strength to be like, you're overcomplicating. I am listening to what you're saying, and I promise you I can see the heart uh, of, of of what we need to, to cut to here. You know, cut away all this other stuff, cut away what people expect of you, blah, blah, blah. What do you actually want? And then the other part, um, I think sacrifice, uh, as we kind of said with Rayla, is a thing you can kind of go to to simplify as well but in the you know the more harmful way it's like no there might be difficulties it might be challenging to get both of those cakes right like but you can lean on other people lean on your wife to be <laughs> we can work this out we can work together yeah. we don't have to just like cut something off because we've artificially constructed a narrative that there are two paths that diverge here yes and that like that's the thing that makes me frustrated right is that people do this all the time it create this false choice like you don't need to choose between these two things right like and that is so often the case like i it grinds my gears i worked with teens for a long time it, like teens having to choose their major and choose their college and choose these these make these huge decisions so early on and it's like you can change your mind like you're allowed to change your mind. This is not a choice you like, you're not locked into this forever. You have a long life ahead of you, right? And I, I think that people put so much pressure on certain decisions that it often leads to this belief that it's one or the other. And I like how do we ease that burden on our loved ones? And I like, that's like, I mean, I have no idea. I don't know that I have an answer, but like, how do we ease that burden on people, the people that we care about, especially so that when these choices come along, we can not get locked into the idea that it's a false choice, right? Like, how do we, how do we make that easier? I think listening is a huge part of it uh, and getting outside your own head that requires another person like that's exactly what happens with uh amaya and janai here right and that gets more difficult at scale with more people as we we're kind of alluding to earlier mm. but um i think uh it's very easy for a single person without outside uh uh influence to want to simplify the swirl of thoughts in their head uh, and they will 
make it that that simpler choice uh just to kind of get out of this situation of being overwhelmed and so on um but i think if you have someone in your life that is is able to to unpack that kind of thing for you and tease out the complexities in a way that that you can understand uh and and see the situation more for what it really is right how do we scale it up i don't know that's what all humanity's been trying to do for a long time i guess <laughs> Oof, it's a lot. Well, personally, I think the best way to do it is to force the person you care about into a duel to the death and to try to get them to back down uh, and take a, and, you know, make the sacrifice by posturing over this tradition you pulled out of a history book. That... <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's what Rex does. He's like, so can we just put aside all this and then can I just chase you down and eat you? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. The, the tradition. I do want to talk about Kareem because I think he does a really funny backwards version of all of this. Um, in that we in this episode we see him agonizing over what he thinks is the proper way forward. Like he's chosen a path; it's not actually hard for him. Um, and the 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 thing he's actually sacrificing, the only thing he's sacrificing, is his relationship with his sister. Really, um, but he thinks it's for this sort of like greater good, greater future. Um, and I, I also think that one thing that's interesting about Kareem is that he he structures basically all of his beliefs and his like his understanding about his own role in things and everybody else's role in things is looking backwards, looking at history, looking at how things were done before. Like he he is beholden to all of these sort of like traditions we are sort of saying it's worth examining and talking about and breaking and, and sort of picking apart and finding both the value and the harm in. Um, and so he, he tells this story about the first golden knight as a person who, you know, stood up to a tyrant and, you know, made the quote personal sacrifice of self to earn peace for the rest of the society and he sees himself in that role he really does he's like i'm gonna yeah. be this person i'm gonna go you know do this this thing i'm gonna challenge my sister uh and and bring about this peace but he's projecting so much and he's he's just really you know he's inventing he's inventing a lot of of stuff about the situation in order to, I don't want to say martyr because it's not exactly martyr, but he is he is sort of like martyring a lot of. I bet he feels that way. A little bit. It's it, he's like, oh, it's so it's it's very much worth sacrificing my relationship with my sister because she is so in the wrong and because the greater good is so worth it. Like he, he's full force on that. Even though, like, I do think he loves her and he does care about her. Like he's just, he's just a mess, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I heard a quote once talking about like righteous indign indignation about how righteous indignation i can't even say it righteous indignation is a really good indicator of when you're probably in the wrong like if you ever feel like you are in the right and you're you know indignant about it then you're like that's probably a red flag for you to be like let's pause why do i feel this way because often when that happens there's a, there's a miscommunication the story that i'm telling is probably wrong um and that's not always true, but like it, for me, whenever I'm feeling that way, I'm like, oh, okay, what am I missing? Because often I'm missing something. And you've it, solidified that story into one of heroes and villains and you're the hero. There's almost certainly ambiguity there. Right? Exactly. Ex I mean, that's exactly right. And so it's, it's interesting to me because oftentimes the story we tell is that I am sacrificing a lot. I, uh, I don't. I don't want to do this, but I will. I don't want to have to do this, but it's for the good of the people. And like, you know, it's this that we keep on like looping this, you know, continuous tape of it must be me. And 
it feels like Kareem over the course of this season probably wasn't at this point early on, but has continued to tell this message, has continued to see Janai stand her ground and has continued that. And so it's gotten worse and worse and worse to the point where the story hasn't changed. And the only way to continue the story with this new information each time is to double down. And so it gets harder and harder for him to the point where he's now willing to cut himself and put his bloody hand on the table all willy-nilly. I'm saying it again. Like, bloody hand on the table with no, like, thought about it. Anyway, okay, I, I digress. Um, but, like, to cut, like, to harm yourself, literally, one, for the for the demo of the fact that he's going to do this ritual. But, like, it's just one of those things where I'm, I bet there's a lot of sacrifice on Kareem's side. When for us, it's like, nah, bruh, you're just wrong. But like from this outside looking in, but for him and for uh, his, you know, you know, friend on the inside, uh, like it seems like there's this really interesting uh, posture of self-sacrifice that is being lived into without actually sacrificing much you know yeah i think uh sacrifice we've given a, a lot of lumps to sacrifice over the episode so far but i think kareem might be the character that exemplifies like not genuinely recognizing what sacrifice really means right i think mm -hmm. you're right like he yeah yes he cuts his hand that looks like a it's a gesture of sacrifice he'll be fine <laughs> unless that knife is rusty he'll be fine um but then at the end of the story he tells and uh Miana asks, like, did he win? Did it work out? And Kareem's response is, it doesn't really matter, right? Like, he doesn't think that's the important part. But to the person in the story, the Golden Knight, the whole point was, I might lose this. I'm basically putting this on a coin flip, honestly, but it's worth it to say, uh, I'll shoulder that burden to get us past this clearly awful place in history we're at, et cetera, et cetera. All of Kareem's uh, motivations are unwillingness to sacrifice basically anything about who they are as a people what they've done so far and so on and so on because the loss is just painful is pure pain to him right like losing luxaria their 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 home city like yeah. symbolically to him that's like we've just lost so much we have to stem ironically the bleeding of what yeah. we've lost so, so far <laughs> and i think you know like you said he uh is doing the gesture of sacrifice but he says he thinks he's giving janai an easy way out he doesn't even see that she's doing sacrifice of any kind i think he's uh missing forest for the trees and is actually afraid of sacrifice well i think that's actually a really good point too is that oftentimes the story we, we're telling gets uh told that way when we aren't able to see the sacrifices that others are making because we're not listening right so there's a few things that we've kind of narrowed down as takeaways one is like listen <laughs> uh listen to other people ask them about the situation, learn more, right? Um, have the hard conversation is something we're walking away with. Um, so again, leaning into Ezrin here um, and boundaries, right? Like knowing where that line is for you. And then when you know that, that allows you to have the tough conversations, right? And then you, that those are, those are the three things that I'm kind of walking away with. Um, are there other things that I missed? I think uh, 
boundary of self, like ego, as a non-derogatory word. I think you got into that uh, earlier, Ben. Um, I think that's an important, that is one of your main boundaries, is, uh, you know, what is it really worth completely giving up yourself in, in the pursuit yeah. of this sacrifice? Um, yeah. Usually <laughs> I would say, Claudia. nah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Ooh, that's for another episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Uh, just like this episode ends on a, a wolf, we're going to end there on a wolf. Like, good grief, Claudia. Um, talk about <clears throat> pursuing too much uh, and sacrificing too much. Yeah, let's come back to that one in a couple seasons or so. Ian yeah. and I will happily return for an extended edition. Extended edition. Dun, dun, dun. Um, well, we're going to leave you all on a hanger then. Uh, we'll be right back in your ears shortly. everybody we have two more segments with our guests really excited i don't know why i pulled a matthew mcconaughey there but it just came to me uh uh so for our final couple of segments we're gonna do uh our faves uh the lens mvp is coming first and so we've had a lovely season of people nominating characters and and then winning because apparently i'm terrible at choosing but so it goes um but we're gonna nominate the lens mvp today and we are all gonna nominate someone that we believe for better or worse exemplifies the lens of sacrifice and so i'm gonna just punt it straight to Devin and say, Devin, who are you nominating for this glorious and prestigious award? I'm going with the the for worse angle on for better or for worse, as you set it up there. And I am going to nominate Kareem. Old choice, uh, old choice. Because I think, like, I actually thought it was very compelling to me how people reacted so strongly and so negatively to him. And I, th I think that's actually good. I think that's doing its job as a story. Um, I think, you know, all of his own beliefs and all of his own ways of posturing himself as someone who is making sacrifices, as someone who is defending, you know, his community of people from needing to sacrifice, and yet how he is doing active harm to all the people around him in this pursuit actually says a lot about what sacrifice should mean in a more, you know, empathetic and constructive and, and uh, I don't want to, good is so neutral, it's, it almost means nothing, but like a, a, a version where there's, there's some forward progress happening in any capacity he's doing none of that and so i think the strong reaction actually tells kind of exactly the story that we wanted to get out of this is is that like all of these things he thinks are very true and he believes them so devoutly are in fact the opposite of what you know he thinks he's doing um and so i, I think kareem believes a lot in sa sacrifice in a way that actually gives up nothing um and I think that's a very interesting way to look at the downside of the lens we have chosen for this episode. So Kareem, my boy, my, my horrible little man. 
All right, y'all. You you've heard Devin's nomination here, and I gotta say, this is a strong start. Uh, I I don't think it will hold up to my nomination, but you know, so it goes. Uh, Ian, who are you nominating today? <laughs> I guess I'll take the uh, polar opposite energy from Devin. Uh, I'll go with with Ezrin. I think uh, he's the character yeah. that is um, you know, managing to kind of like evaluate uh without you know consciously or subconsciously uh what all the other characters are uh stuck on with their ideas of of sacrifice and uh how sacrifice is noble to them and so on and ezrin through his power of uh understanding the people on each side of 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 the sacrifice equation is the one that's actually able to to show how you might be able to move forward uh past one of these situations and with a greater understanding of of each other in the process so we have Ezrin, who we learned a lot from this episode. We learned about boundaries from Ezrin. We learned about having hard conversations from Ezrin. Ezrin's doing great. And, and then we have Kareem, who just sucks at it, right? Who's just not good at this. And so we have the for, for better, we have the for worse. And so I, I am excited to learn uh, who will win um between the two of you because mine's definitely going to win number one but like for second place this is good um so for for me i am going to go hard in the paint and i'm going to nominate like the the clearest answer here which like y'all it's rayla right and i just want to let everybody think about it for a second because rayla was raised to sacrifice this is like her whole like she breathes sacrifice y'all right she's growing up sacrifice turning left sacrifice going to a dragon's lair sacrifice and so she's like number one she gives up her blades first like and she talks about her dads that are like not her dads but her dads and it's like it's this this lovely thing where she's giving it up and I, i do think it's for the worst she does it too much right this is almost like too much sacrifice but i do think that uh, Rayla will probably take the take the cake here uh, on the sacrifice limb, and I, I I don't think she needs any more explanation. What do you all think? I agree. I think you chose the um the pretty obvious like Oscar bait style nomination. The three hour <laughs> weeper by the big name director uh, might not be the you know the one with the most nuance, but uh yeah, someone's got to stand up for the obvious yeah. choice. I'm awfully bold of you to to choose the character whose core you know one of her core character motivations is this ongoing sacrifice theme, but uh. considering how i lose every time they will find a way to vote another way like the the listeners do it in spite of me i think (laughs) no one will ever vote for totally unpopular character rayla yeah yeah right yeah unlikely uh, yeah i mean like oscar Beatty is is fair i mean definitely like it's like throwing out banshees of inishirin instead of everything everywhere all at once you know um anyway so it goes um what we've got now, oh, that was a deep cut, uh, is moving to gratitude for our final segment. And gratitude is a lovely attitude, but it's a better practice, which is why at the end we practice gratitude because we want to cultivate joy. And those two are connected. So we're gonna we're gonna do our part. So with that in mind, uh, talking about characters that we really are grateful for in this episode and i'm curious um ian if you don't mind i'd love to have you go first sharing a, a character that you're grateful for sure um 
it's a little fourth wally, but I'm thankful to uh, Rex Igneous, Big Dragon himself. Uh, just a, a joy to write for, and also like a really good exercise in trying to get into the head of some uh, being that's very much uh, unlike myself, but in some ways probably almost certainly like myself as well. Um, and then also just, I think he brings me the most joy to see on the screen in the finished product of this episode as well. So Lots thanks, Big Rexy. Yeah, big, big fan. Oh, I love that. Devin, how about you? Damn it, I was literally going to say Rex. We got for a lot of the same reasons, but, but um, gotta be quicker on the draw. He's he's super delightful, and I, I'm also he's part of the reason that I think like both of us are incredibly proud of this episode because I really I I love hearing all of and the actor was a great piece of it. Like he really brought the character to life. And by the way, like one of the greatest joys of our jobs, I think, is watching voice actors get to be dragons because like there's like like adult human beings. He's like a he's an older dude. Like he just was having the time of his life being a dragon and it's it's just so fun so i'm 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 adding to ian's because i'm agreeing with him and then i think like for for my own more to just the, the theme um and the lens of the episode i, I want to say ezra and amaya because i think they both do this but they both have this you know I, I i'm the type of person to overcomplicate everything and, and freak the hell out because you know there's there's too many choices there's too much going on i'm, I'm mad about it i'm getting prickly i'm getting all rex igneous about it um but I think like Ezra and Amaya, both in this episode, listen and present answers that are way simpler than, you know, the, the type of person like me would ever imagine on their own. And so I, I think like I'm grateful for people like Ezra and Amaya who give you answers that are far more simple than mm. you can come up with yourself. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope I'm it. always there to encourage you to eat both cakes. Yeah, he, he really is. Like, like, I honestly, there's some of our relationship in that where I'm I'm the, the freak out haver and he's the one who's just like, can you? hold on just relax you know like think about it a little bit more clearly so yeah yeah i i love all of these these things i you know what i'm realizing we like i can't believe we didn't talk about it, it didn't really fit into the, the sacrifice conversation and i think that's probably why we didn't talk about it but like the sass level on rex is beyond like it is so good like i am here for it and you know we didn't really talk about like how there's, you know, I, I won't say clearly, but clearly uh, uh, an interesting like love triangle between, you know, Abizandam, Zubea and Rex. And, you know, you know, it's probably not, you know, for real, for real, but like, it's kind of for real. And the shade that he throws Abizandam until he realizes that he's passed is like, it's it's pretty dark in that shade spot like there's a lot going down and like there's some salt <laughs> um but some yeah. of my favorite dialogue in the episode for by by miles and miles and miles and i think it's nice because like we haven't and again this is totally going off lens but i it's an angle to the perception of avizandum that nobody has expressed until this point um Fascinated the idea that he was too. just a big jerk like he just yeah. liked being a jerk and that and he wasn't some sort of you know like you know eternal protector he was just being yeah. you know a bully in, in yeah. some capacity and like there's some like how much of rex's own feelings about abizandum are coloring that versus exactly. how much of it is true to his character it's it's all very messy and i yeah. won't say that the the love triangle is canon but we do joke about it and um we like to joke that that's the book claudia is reading at the beginning of the series the love amongst the love dragons, amongst the dragons. Is actually what it is <laughs> is this idea again totally not confirming or denying that that's that's the case because i personally do love that interpretation but it is very fun yeah you say off lens but 
he literally says, oh, Avizandan, the great martyred hero of Zadia. Like, it kind yeah. of does get into his feelings about performative sacrifice, right? Like, Rex feels mm. a way about this stuff. Oof. Well, that was a, a detour. Um, thank you for entertaining me. I can't believe we didn't talk more about that. I could probably talk about that for a whole episode. But anyway, I digress. Uh, I am incredibly grateful for a lot of the things that go down, but I think mostly grateful for Amaya uh, in this episode for similar reasons that you were kind of lifting up is just that I am not great at listening often i will turn it on and i often try to relate by sharing oh like this is you know i had a similar thing that happened to me and, and that is a, a a common gut reaction um when i'm listening and i've had to really put that in check and amaya just just does it so well and i think that kind of her as a model is going to be helpful for me whenever i need to kind of put that back in check and so i'm just having that as a model is is really helpful and so i'm really grateful for amaya in this episode <gasps> lovely oh wow that brings us to the end y'all we're, we're we've done it we've done the whole thing um did we miss anything i don't think we did no we have to give you gifts now <laughs> Yes, I accept uh, gifts. Oh, no. Sure. Um, gifts in the form of Patreon subscriptions, everyone. BNB underscore pod. You can find us on Patreon, listeners. I accept all forms of financial gifts on Patreon. If you cannot afford a financial gift, you are welcome to give us the gift of a review. Uh, but also the gift of listening is really beautiful. We talked about that today, and that is also enough. Uh, so thank you for everyone. Speaking of gifts, <laughs> Ian, thanks for the T-ball. Uh, is there anything that y'all want to uh, promote or if our listeners wanted to find you, how would they find you and you want to be found? Uh, I've done this before. I've got nothing to promote besides thank you for watching The Dragon Prince on Netflix. Uh, continue to do so because season five is coming this year. We don't have, we haven't announced an exact date yet, but ding, ding, ding. now that we are in 2023, I can say it's coming this year. Um, uh, but I am at Devin Geel on Twitter. That's typically where I hang out and post horrible pictures of elves that I draw. Love it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as well, uh, Ian A. Hendry. It's a weird scholarly spelling of Ian. Maybe that'll be in some kind of show notes or on the tweet with this episode or something <laughs> like that. If yeah. you need to <laughs> find me, find my silly little jokes. I'm my wife's biggest reply guy. Uh, sometimes I talk about the Philadelphia Eagles and I lose <laughs> followers every single time. Uh, yeah, really, really just a, a broad audience there. Love it. All right. And then everyone, of course, you can find us at BNB underscore pod on all the things. We will be tweeting our poll for a Lens MVP where you will vote for Rayla, not Kareem or uh, I don't even remember who you nominated because it was so second tier. Uh, 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 Ezrin. Uh, anyway, uh, I digress. We don't care about the non Oscar winners here um, for the Lens MVP anyway. Uh so we have those cool things. Make sure you're checking out Twitter. Uh, you'll be able to find uh, our tag of Devin and Ian on our tweet when we drop the episode. And thank you all for listening. It's been an incredible journey for the duration of this season of The Dragon Prince. We have one more episode with another great guest. And so be on the lookout next week. But until next time, be well and do good. Thank you.